Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. His love will never let us go. And that good news this morning? Never. And as we just sang, thank you for your death and resurrection. You know, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every spring on, on Resurrection Sunday, but actually that's what we celebrate every Sunday we gather together, right? Because we're resurrection people. Uh, without the resurrection, we might as well just sleep in. But because we're resurrection people, every time we come together, we celebrate the resurrection. I love the lyrics of that song. Thank you for the power of your blood. Thank you that we're living in your kingdom. And Jesus, you're the king upon the throne. Thank you for the way you always loved me. And now, and now I get to love you in return. That's the title of this morning's message. And now I get to love you in return. You know, after everything God has done to demonstrate his love for every one of us, now you and I get to love him in return. In return for the countless blessings he's already given us and the ones he continues to keep giving us. So we thank you, Father. We thank you, Abba. We thank you, Papa. We thank you, Daddy. Thank you. And now I get to love you in return. I'm going to be in Mark's Gospel, chapter 12 and chapter 4, and a passage out of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. So, Father, right now, tune us in to what you have to say, because you, you have something for us this morning, and uh, for everyone here. i got to believe that. That's what I always pray for throughout the week, especially on our drive up here. So give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to this church this morning, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, back in the springtime when we have Resurrection Sunday, we began following Jesus from what the Bible calls his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, right? When the people lined the streets and were waving the palm branches and were laying down their, their cloaks and stuff. So here he comes, and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? That was when his approval rating was just through the roof. If he wanted to run for any kind of office, he would have got won by a landslide. But we followed him from that triumphal entry all the way to the gruesome cross of Good Friday, the darkest night in history, when the only innocent one, the only innocent one died for all the guilty ones, including us. But the good news is we didn't, we didn't end the journey at the cross. We, we finished that journey on resurrection morning. And we remember there was women running, running from that empty tomb when they went to treat a corpse. They weren't expecting that Jesus actually did what he said he was going to do. And, and the, the word says, trembling and astonishment grip them. That's the way Mark's gospel describes their initial response to the angel who was declaring, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He's not here, he's risen. 
Matthew's Gospel says it like this, the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but filled with great joy. And in Luke's Gospel, the angel asked the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's risen from the dead. What a great question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? I always thought that'd be a good question to ask people in Barnes and Noble or Books a Million over in the New Age book section. Uh, pardon me, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. But then I don't know if that'd be very Christ-like or nice and kind and loving. I don't know, maybe it would. Maybe it'd be doing him a favor because a lot of people are being deceived. I mean, we're all looking for truth, right? A lot of people are looking for truth in the wrong place. And Jesus tells us he is the truth. And you either believe that or you don't. But people are looking for the living among the dead. And he's not there. But let's remember, Jesus didn't just tell us that he loves us, right? He, he, he demonstrated it. He demonstrated. He died on a cross to demonstrate it. And that resurrection is what we celebrate. And speaking of love, I could stand up here every week, I've told you this before, and tell you that I love you, 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 I love all of you. I could tell you that every Sunday, but if I never do anything, if I never spend any time with you, if I, if, if I never listen to you, if we never have coffee or breakfast or lunch or whatever, spend some time to get to know each other. And if you need help and I'm available, I'll say, sure, I'll, I'll meet you wherever. If I never do any of that, but I keep telling you I love you, how long are you going to believe me, right? <laughs> there has to be a demonstration of, of love, and Jesus demonstrated his love for us by taking our punishment for our sins, because he didn't have any of his own, right? He took every one of our sins, past, present, future, and nailed them to the cross, he took our sins and gave us his righteousness. What a lousy exchange that was for Jesus, right? Glorious exchange for all of us who have put our faith in him, but what a lousy exchange for Jesus. But I hope we can all say that our faith is in him because that was a we get his righteousness. But if not, if you're not sure, let's talk before you leave, okay? And we're talking about our eternity. We don't want to play around with our eternity. Jesus gave us his righteousness. Stop and think about that sometime. His righteousness for our sins, all our dirt, all our garbage. He said, I'm going to take that from you, and I'm going to give you what's mine. Man. But that's not all he did. Before he got arrested in the garden that night, he told his disciples, and he tells every one of us, it's not on the screen, but in John 14... He says that, that in his father's house there are many rooms, right? King James calls it many mansions. And that he was going there to prepare a place for us so that we could be with him. And that someday, someday he would come back to get us and take us to be with him in our heavenly home where there are no more tears, no more pain. Think about that. No more suffering, no fear, no doubts, no stress, no anger issues, 
no anxiety, no more worry, no sadness, no grief, no depression, and no sin. Imagine that. There's no sin in heaven. No homeless people. Have you ever thought of that? There's no homeless people in heaven. There's no homeless shelters in heaven because everybody's got a home, thanks to Jesus. So the Lord has definitely shown us and demonstrated his, his love for us over and over and over and over again, and he keeps showing his love for us. And now, as the song we just sang says, and now we get to love him in return, right? But how do we do that? How, how do we do that? How can we love Jesus in return? How, how do we love the Lord in our hectic, busy lives today? Well, first off, we need to remember that loving God isn't just a suggestion. It's not some really, really good idea, and you ought to do that. It's a command in the, in the Scriptures. Not only that, but according to Jesus, it's the most important command. One day, some of the religious leaders and teachers were questioning Jesus about paying taxes, about the resurrection. But what if a woman had been married seven times? Whose wife would she be in the resurrection? I thought that was a good question. <laughs> but they were just trying to trap him, as usual. They're trying to trap him to saying something he could be arrested for, for blasphemy. But if you notice, every time the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, every time they tried to trick Jesus, he always ate their lunch, right? Every time, took their lunch money. So I want to pick up this story in, in Mark's gospel, and this is chapter 12, verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And look how Jesus answers him in verse 29 through 31. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, those are probably familiar words to some of us, right? Hopefully, we've heard them before, hopefully more than once. But if I asked you this morning, if you love God, well, we know the correct Sunday school answer is, yes, of course I love God. And hopefully, that is your answer. Hopefully, everyone has that answer. But what does it mean to really love God? How do we measure something like that? Whose standard do we use? What does love for God mean? look like? What does it feel like? How does it show itself? Is it by showing up for church twice a month? I think it's got to be more than that. How about this? What does it look like if we don't love God? How does that show itself? That's maybe more obvious. And, and do we ever find it hard to love God? Is loving God difficult at times? Now, we might think, oh, those are easy questions to answer, Bob, but really, are they? If we're being honest with ourselves, I'm not so sure. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but to say, is it ever difficult to love God at times? I would say, yeah, 
I can tell you some times in my life where I've struggled with that. But see, Jesus has, has been asked what the most important commandment was. And basically his answer is love God with everything in you. Right? Love God with everything you got. How many of us can answer that and say, yes, that's me? I can't. I could lie to you and say, oh, that's me, man. I love the Lord with all my heart. But I don't. I don't love him with all my soul. I don't love him with all my mind or all my strength. I want to, but I don't. I'm not there yet. He says, love the Lord your God with everything you got. And the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, he's the one who said, there's no greater commandments than that. And the Pharisee tells Jesus, good job, Jesus. He gives him a pat on the back. Look what he says in verse 32 and 33. Well said, teacher. The man replied, you're right. Of course he's right. <laughs> you're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Good job, Jesus. And verse 34 says, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God. There may be hope for you after all, buddy. <laughs> you know? And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. They didn't want him to eat their lunch either, right? So God wants his church, he wants us to love him and to love one another. And let's face it, some people are easier to love than others, right? But he didn't play favorites. And I believe a lot of people want to know God and, and, and want to love God, but it may be difficult for some of us to figure out how exactly to love someone you can't see or touch. And the answer comes in the scripture we, we just read. We love God with our heart. We, we love him with our soul. We love him with our mind. We love him with our strength. But with all of our heart, hmm. all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's tough. It's not on a screen, but Deuteronomy 4, verse 29 tells us, if we search for God with all our heart and soul, we will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we can love God when we search and seek him with all our heart. We can also show we love God when we serve him with all our heart. Another verse, Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, o Israel, what does, the word, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways? If we're going to walk in all his ways, that means we go obey his commands. And listen to this. To love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And we serve him when we serve others, right? And we also love God by praising him with all our hearts. Psalm 9.1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. And Psalm 111, verse 1 says, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. And you know another way we can love God with our whole heart? By just repenting when we've wandered away from him. Listen to this. 
In Jeremiah 24, verse 7, the Lord says, and I will give them a heart to know me. You want to know God? He'll give us a heart to know him, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. None of this riding the fence with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. All their heart. Now, those are some of the ways we can love God with all our hearts and souls. And we can love God with all of our minds by getting to know and understand his love for us. Romans chapter 12, it's not on the screen, but the Apostle Paul, he talks about our minds in verse 2 of chapter 12, where he tells us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. I got to tell you, I need my mind renewed every morning before I even get out of bed or open my mouth. I, I need my mind renewed, and I need to put on the full armor of God, and I recommend that for all of us. Sometimes I need to have my mind renewed every hour, <laughs> depending on what's going on. Sometimes it's moment by moment I need my mind renewed, right? And that's what the word is saying here. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, then... Then, after you do that, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So to understand that stuff, we need our minds renewed. Listen to this from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. This is a really rich passage. Chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power by his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Imagine that, Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, man, if we're going to be rooted and grounded in anything, let it be love, okay? I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend, how do we comprehend with our minds, right? that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Mm. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, that is such a rich passage. It's Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 19. So we can love God with all our minds when we, when we can comprehend his love for us, but we'll never fully comprehend it, right? It surpasses knowledge. But none of this, none of this will help us love God unless we first have a genuine desire to love him, will it? I mean, you can't make me love you. I can't make you love me. There has to be a desire. When I fell in love with Bobby, I had this desire. Because neither one of us were believers at the time, so my desires weren't really sanctified, but God took care of that. He created beauty from ashes. Um, but anyway, but that was, there had to be a desire, right? So maybe we should be asking ourselves, 
Instead of asking, do we love God? Maybe we should be asking, do we even have a desire to love God? Because we can't love him without a desire. Do we have a hunger for God? When I asked earlier, what does love for God look like? Love has to do with desire, right? You know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands, right? If we're going to say we love him, he's saying, do what I'm telling you to do. So by obeying that, by keeping his commands, that's a love response, right? That's a response of love where we're obeying him, not because it's just this hardship, this duty, but it's, it's out of love. At least that's the way it's designed to be, out of love. But do you think we can keep the commands and not love them? What do you think? Can we obey the commands of the Lord but still not love them? I think we can. I think we can misinterpret loving God as, as just an order. It's, it's, it's this duty. It's just a, a command. We've got to obey. Now, it is a command. And we say you must do these things. So it is scriptural. It's the most important command. But do we treat it like it's some other kind of household chore? Got to love God today. Got to do the dishes. Got to clean the bathroom. Got to love God today. We've got all these chores, all these tasks we got to do, but is loving God one of those? Well, 8 o'clock, I've got to clean the bathroom. 9 o'clock, I'm going to love God. 10 o'clock, I'm going to go grocery shopping. Got to love God today. We need to love God, but not like that. Heaven help us if any of us ever feel like that. Got to love God today. <laughs> got to love God. We need a desire, right? It's got to be that desire to truly love him. And desire means wanting a closer, deeper connection on the heart level. That's what I wanted with Bobby, right? That desire, wanting greater communication and intimacy. But like I said, those were pre-sanctified desires. Thankfully, God purified our hearts. But it's this longing to be with somebody. It's this longing to be in God's presence, not something to just check off our to-do list. So how strong is our desire for God? In Psalm 42, it says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Anybody here that thirsty for God? Now, we have deer that go through the woods behind our house, but I've never seen a deer sitting there going, <laughs> panting for water. Never seen that. Man, that's a thirsty deer if it's panting for water. Are we that thirsty for God? And I know our desire for God can get weak sometimes because we get satisfied with lesser things, don't we? We get caught up in this entitlement, this instant gratification and, and the pleasures of the world. And those pleasures of the world can choke out our desire for God. If you remember the parable of the four soils Jesus taught about, how the farmer went out sowing good seed and some fell on the path and some fell among the rocks and some fell among thorns and some fell on good soil. Those four soils represent four different conditions of the human heart. All the seed was good, 
right? It wasn't like he threw some good seed into good dirt and some bad seed over here. It was all good seed. But the condition of the human heart determined how beneficial that seed was going to be. But look what he says about the thorny soil in Mark 4, verse 18 and 19. The thorny ground represents those who hear and accept. Not just hear in one ear and out the other. They hear the word and they accept it. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for nice things. So no crop is produced. Our lives don't bear any fruit. No crop is produced. The cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for nice things. We all want nice things. I want nice things. All of those things, though, can detract us from loving God. Another translation lists those three things as life's worries. And Lord knows we've got plenty of them. Riches and pleasures. And we live in a very pleasure-focused world, don't we? And thorns can take root. And thorns can grow in the form of life's worries or the lure of riches or the pleasure and choke out our desire to love God because we have a greater desire for nice things than we do God. Now, God created pleasure for our enjoyment. He's not a killjoy, all right? But when it becomes our main focus, it starts to become an idol. It, it can become a, another God that we love, you know, wanting nice things, seeking pleasure all the time. Loving God is, is not about rejecting all the, all the good things he's, he's given us to enjoy. He gives us good things to enjoy. So loving him is not about rejecting all that stuff. The gifts are good. If they come from God, they're, they're very good, but not when they take priority over the giver of the gift. Yeah? Hope that makes sense. And for us to be the people that we're intended to be, for us to experience life here as God created it to be, we need to love him. We, we need to love him back. It's, it's part of his plans that, that we love him with everything in us and that we live out of that love so we can love others. Yeah? That's when we're fully alive. That's when we know the abundant life that Christ came to give us. But we fill up. We fill up on lesser things, don't we? See, if we don't have that desire and that hunger for God, it's not because he's undesirable. It's because we've been nibbling from the world's table too long. We've stuffed ourselves with the little insignificant temporary things, and there's, there's no room for the greater eternal things. God didn't create us for that. We're created to love God, and we've tried to love everything else, and we're still not satisfied or content. It's because only God himself is completely sufficient to fulfill the longing of our souls. Nothing or no one else can do that. A lot of you know who C.S. Lewis is. He's a theologian, author. You might know him best from the Chronicles of Narnia. But he has a book called Mere Christianity. And in that book, he, he writes this. Listen to this. He says, if I find in myself 
desires, you know, we're talking about desire. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that great? That's so good. And it's so true. That's worth repeating. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. We were all made for another world. So we desperately, we need to love God. And the struggle for some of us is that our hunger for him has faded. And if we're struggling with not loving God, that raises some questions. Interesting, but maybe some disturbing questions. What, what is our worship here together on Sunday mornings if we don't really love God? Why, why, why do we come here? on a Sunday morning, on a rainy Sunday morning, if we don't love God? Is it just a, a kind of a feel-good sing-along? Is that why we're here? What good is biblical knowledge? And don't, don't take this the wrong way. I admire education and higher learning and all that stuff, so nothing wrong with biblical knowledge. But what good is it if, without a real love for God? Right? Do you want to win arguments because you know so much about the Bible? Or do you want people to know they're loved by the same God who loves you? See, the real danger of, of not loving God is, is that we end up practicing religious behavior without any passion or without any joy. And then we become more and more like modern-day Pharisees. Let's not do that. That's not what God created us for. God has made us for himself, and our hearts are going to be restless until they find their rest in him. Now, I know we all, we all lead busy lives. And I know nobody thinks about this place more than I do. We've all got life. We've all got things. We've got kids. We've got grandkids. We've got work. We've got school. We've got homeschool. We've got all kinds of stuff we're responsible for. We're committed to these things. And, and fulfill your obligations. Don't promise something to somebody and then bail out or something unless you've got a really, really good reason. Somehow, we need to start practicing consciously living each day with God and engaging with him in every part of our lives. Not just Sunday mornings or other special times like this, but every day, every day, living with God, talking with God, involving him in our day-to-day -day routines. How many, how many pray to God when you can't find your car keys? <laughs> I do. I might sound silly, but yeah, it's like, Lord, you know right where they are. I know they're right where I left them, <laughs> but I can't find them. Help me. Oh, man. Talking with God, involving him in our day-to-day -day routines. This could be called a Shema lifestyle. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was back in Mark's Gospel in chapter 12 earlier, he was quoting from Deuteronomy 6 which is part of the Shema prayer that the Jews prayed every morning and every evening. Let's look at it. Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That's monotheism, the belief in only one God. And that was a distinctive feature of the Hebrew religion because a lot of the ancient religions believed in a whole lot of gods. They still do today. But the day is coming when God, capital G, the only true God, will be recognized as the king 
over the whole earth. And that will fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 14, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Hallelujah. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. People are worshipping a whole lot of other names. But on that day, his name alone will be worshipped. And that day's coming. And we get closer to that day every day. Today we're closer than we were yesterday. If we get tomorrow, we'll be closer tomorrow than we are right now. But that day's coming. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must, see, it's a command, right? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Look at verse 7, 8, and 9. Listen to this, parents, future parents, grandparents. Repeat them again and again to who? To your children and your grandchildren. To your children. Repeat them again and again. Anytime something is repeated in the Bible, that puts a special emphasis on it. Repeat them again and again to your children. What could be more important than, than teaching our kids and our grandkids God's word and teaching them to be kind and loving like he is. Helping them to understand how much God loves them and how Jesus came to give them life too. The abundant life. Lily and Violet aren't here today but Violet wants to learn to read she said so she can read her Bible. And Bobby found this Bible that's just so simple it's going to be perfect birthday present for Violet because she'll be able to read the words. She's learned sight words. And she'll be thinking, wow, I'm reading the Bible. So it's such a cool thing. But yeah, repeat them again and again to your children, folks. What could be more important than that? Talk about them when you are home and when you're in Pigeon Forge or in Atlanta or at the beach or when you're away on a journey. When you're lying down and, and when you're getting up. See, that's that Shema prayer that, that was part of the, the Jews' morning and evening prayers. When you lay down and when you get up. Tie them to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Or maybe a bracelet. Or maybe a necklace. Or maybe a t-shirt. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Put God's word on your walls. Put them on your bathroom mirrors. Put his word on your front door so you see it every day. The Jewish people were to make loving God a part of everyday life as much as a part of life as breathing and eating. So, if we're not doing any of this, let's start somewhere. All right? Let's start somewhere. Let's invite God into our day where previously we didn't make any room for him. Right? He's already prepared room for us. And you may say, well, when I accepted Christ, I made room for him in my heart. Yeah? You think you can make a little more room for him? Has anybody got too much of God in their life? I don't. Do you love God? Do you have a hunger for God? Jesus tells us to love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, 
all your mind, all your strength, and to love others. Imagine what this world would look like if the body of Christ began loving God like that. That's a goal worth aiming for. But we're not going to have a hunger for God if we're filling up on the world's junk. If we're gorging ourselves on lesser things, we won't have an appetite for God and the things of God. The Bible tells us, taste, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So maybe we need to ask the Lord to give us a bigger appetite for him and the greater things that he has for us and to take away our appetite for the lesser things the world keeps filling us up with and to have a desire for more of him and less of this world. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. In the closing prayer, we're going to use this passage out of Colossians that I shared with you on um, New Year's morning. And uh, we've kind of adopted this as, as our prayer f- for this year. So just receive this. You know, Colossians 1.9 starts out by saying, So we've continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. And Bobby and I pray for you guys a lot. And we're going to continue to pray for you. But this is our prayer. We ask God to give us here a complete understanding of what he wants to do in our lives. And we ask him to make us wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way we live will always honor and please the Lord. And we'll continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, we'll learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will strengthen us with your glorious power so that we'll have all the patience and endurance we need. May we be filled with joy, always, always thanking the Father who has enabled us to share that glorious inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son, God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all our sins. Amen and amen. Do we really love God? We know he really loves us. And now we get to love him in return. Amen? Amen.